In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. Hey, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I'm here at the StubHub Center in Carson, California. It's 1040 Pacific Time, 140 Eastern Time, and Atlanta United has knocked off the LA Galaxy 2 to nothing behind goals from Joseph Martinez in the 22nd minute and Miguel Almiron in injury time in the second half, technically the 94th minute. I'm joined, as I always am, in our post-match conversations with Jason Longshore of 92.9 and SoccerDownHere.com. I'm a little delirious. It's late. <laughs> it's very late. <laughs> and I still have a lot of work to do, and i got to figure out how I'm going to get it done with a 6.45 flight in the morning. Oh. But no one wants to hear me complaining about travel. Um, <laughs> this was what manager Gerardo Martino said was the best road game the team has played since he took it over, and since he's the only manager, so that makes in its history, uh, a week after they played what he thought was their best home game. Uh, what was impressive about this for you tonight? It's, it's funny he says that because it kind of had that feel. You know, What's impressive to me is it was not easy to decide who the man of the match was. It was very difficult because you could go for seven or eight different guys and have a valuable you know, argument for them. I, I still feel like that Minnesota win was kind of special. It's almost in its own category for dealing with the conditions and the adversity with the red card. You know, but best played, especially the first half, and people were tweeting this at us as they were listening to the broadcast, that might have been the best half Atlanta United's ever played in that first 45. I feel like they needed the second goal. They didn't get punished for it tonight. But they really needed to put this away a little bit earlier than they did. But strong job defensively. L.A. only had one shot on goal the whole night. Yeah, I don't know if I agree that it was the best half. I think it may have been the best 30 minutes. Uh, the last That's 15 fair. minutes of the first half when Almiron uh, got knocked down again. Gerardo Martino called some of those fouls orange cards. Uh, they kind of lost the midfield badly, and the Galaxy really put a lot of pressure. But Michael Parkhurst, I thought, was just immense again tonight. Why he has not ever gotten called back into the men's national team is really beyond me because his positioning was perfect. He had the back line organized perfectly. The only time they put a foot wrong, uh, McCann had a really bad cleared header early in the first half yeah. and there was one time that Kamara was about a half a yard off size in a hole in the middle of the defense uh, other than that Parkhurst had them organized and playing well yeah there was a, a couple of, of dicey passes in the defensive half at times Gressel had one that luckily came right back to him I think Parkhurst cleaned it up mm-hmm. ball falls right back to Gressel and he hits a 75 yard ball that almost springs Almaron so he made up for it, but yeah. little things like that. I mean, we're nitpicking. That's where we're at with this tonight to try to find something to really, you know, criticize. It was that good of an overall performance. I thought you got to see 
not the full 100% of Ezekiel Barco and what he does for this team, but pretty close. And he didn't have that explosive step off the dribble, but his passing, his vision, just off the charts to me. Yeah, he had um, one moment in the second half where he was about 20 yards from goal, and Galaxy's defense just assumed he was going to pass, and so they split just a little bit, and he went right into that space and actually got knocked down in the penalty box, but Toledo waved off uh, the call. Um, It wasn't a spectacular game by Barco, but for a first start uh, with guys that he has only been playing with again in the past two weeks, you could see what he's got going on. Yeah, see, uh, I, I loved it from the sense that you can see where it's going to go with yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the you know, it's stuff that's not on the stat sheet. You know, I don't know what his final passing number was. Uh, I think we might have it. It was just he was so good in switching the point of attack. There was one in the second half where he switched it from the left to the right, hit Julian Gressel on the run. Just stuff like that. Right. Perfectly weighted passes to Spring Almaron. Very impressed. He had the one shot, which he said it was a hard ball and he couldn't control it very well. Right. That was early in the game. But he created four chances, That's tied impressive. with Almiron, completed 87% of his passes, and I didn't realize this, actually tied for the team lead with three tackles. Yeah, he was very active defensively, and this was something that you know the front office talked about was an underrated part of his game coming in, because that was a question. Yamil Assad gave you a lot of defensive work. I feel like Barco can give you just as much and even more going forward when he gets fully healthy. When he can get that first step and he can be as dangerous on the dribble as he was passing tonight, Ezekiel Barco is going to be a treat to watch. I thought his defense in the preseason was was pretty horrible, to be honest with you, as a midfielder. Uh, The defense as a midfielder compared to defense as a striker are different things. Definitely. And so in that regard, I thought he he played fairly well. He has room to grow games. there, for sure. I mean, that's that's not why you bring him in. Right. No. You bring him in and Nagby. And those are – let's talk about both of those guys. Because yeah. both of those guys you bring in from a possession standpoint to be able to pick the final pass but also put their foot on the ball when you need to and slow things down. Both of them tonight. Nagby had some big-time defensive plays. Tonight as well header, as gave you the position. header off the goal line yeah. uh, to an open guy on the back post. What I liked about Nagby tonight was, <laughs> since we always talk about him, the reason I've fallen out of favor with Michael Bradley, <laughs> Donington Nagby tonight would get the ball, look up, and just dribble north-south, right. which he hasn't done a lot of this season. He's been a lot of, I'll get the ball, I'll kind of dribble around in a circle for five yards, and then I'll spread it out. And that's not a bad thing. Right. But tonight... He got on his horse and was yeah. getting up and down the field, and that's another component of this Atlanta United attack that's going to be hard for defenses. The Galaxy made it easy for him to do that, too. I mean, this four four two empty bucket style, it, it's not going to work against the better teams in this league. When you have guys like Nagby and Barco and Al Marone who can just dominate possession and create chances, you're playing three on two there. And there's just no way for the Galaxy to be able to defend it. So those central midfielders get sucked deeper and deeper, and that gives a guy like Nagby more opportunities to mm-hmm. just take the space, and he did. I don't think we've talked about Zatan yet. There wasn't much to talk about. Yeah, no. Uh, I don't think he had a shot nor a shot on goal. No, he did not. Not Very a shot. Not a shot on Yeah, he looked a little bit exasperated near the end. Uh, he conceded three fouls, didn't win any. Nope. Um, all in all, not a very good performance. Uh, but, of course, Atlanta United had a lot to do with it. It was a team yeah. 
philosophy in defending him uh, wherever he was on the field. Lorenowitz was huge in helping out. Um, Gonzalez Perez took a turn. McCann took a turn. Uh, and they, they did what they needed to do. Gressel times was marking him on set pieces. Yeah, I want to talk about Gressel in just a second, okay. too. Um, but it was, all in all, a fantastic performance. And for the first time, I think in six games, Atlanta United dominated possession yes. because they played such good defense. First time, what, since the Vancouver match, I think. Is it Vancouver? I couldn't remember if they had it Yeah, in I think Vancouver okay. and D.C., they had possession. It's, it's the first time they've had more than 50% of the possession in a while. If Julian Gressel is not the best right fullback in MLS right now, I don't know who is. It's it's an interesting spot. I mean, defensively, I thought Gressel was really good tonight, and that was where he stood out to me. Um, and when he can get forward, we know what he does in the final third. The right wing back role is a little different than a right back in a four-man back line. But as we talked about last week, I think you can make this work with a four-man back line with Julian Gressel at right back and not take away his ability to get forward. Mm -hmm. It just becomes a little bit more of your left back, whether it's Garza, whether it's McCann, staying at home a little more to let Gressel be your kind of rampaging down the right side. And then that lets – if you, this is if you go back to a four-two-three-one, which is by no means a guarantee at this point. No, I don't, I don't think you're going to see that again until maybe the U.S. Open Cup. I don't know. I, I think it's – you're at a point where you can pick and choose depending on the opponent. What, what I wouldn't mind seeing – <laughs> We'll talk about that in a second. What I wouldn't mind seeing at times is the four-two-three-one at home where you can open it up a little bit more and the three-five-two away from home where you can absorb pressure a little bit more. Gressel keeps getting shortchanged on chances created. They have him <laughs> with only one. And that's just insane because I think, I think he had three or four alone in the first half. With he had a number of crosses that were dangerous that didn't lead to a chance. Only because they couldn't put a toe on it. In my mind, that's a chance right. created. Yeah, I, I don't think that's how Optus scores it. No, though. that's wrong. Um, <laughs> going back to the four-two-three-one or the 4 3 3 whatever you want to call it, I don't think you're going to see it. Atlanta United struggled and struggled last year to secure that playoff berth. They missed out on that second seed because they threw away points. If this thing is working, this 3-5-2, I think they're going to ride it and ride it and ride it until they know for a fact we are in the playoffs and we've got as high of a seed as we possibly can. And then you might see them bring it back or in the U.S. Open Cup because it looks so, so bad against Houston and they are looking so, so good with this 3-5-2. Yeah, but I think if you get the 4-2-3-1 with Parkhurst at center back and Lorenowitz at the number six, it's a different conversation than the Houston game. I think it's down to the situation and it's down to current form and it's down to the pieces available. And that's, that's the beauty of it because last year you didn't have a plan B. You didn't have an alternative. It was 4-2-3-1 or bust. Now, you can play the three-five-two. You know you can go back to the four-two-three-one. You have the pieces to do it. You can mix and match. I mean, even at times tonight, it looked like a three-four-three when Almarone slid out to the left and Barco would slide out to the right and Martinez is up top, and then Nagby would step up into that gap. So this team formation, I think, is maybe a little overrated. It's just down to what Tata Martino needs in the night, and I think there's going to be games like these last couple where. You saw the team sit deeper and absorb pressure and hit on the counter. Then I think there's going to be matches like tonight and the D.C. and the Vancouver match where you dominate possession and create chances, and you just have to put games away. Depth. Kevin Kratz comes in. Romario Williams comes in. They connect on what leads to a penalty kick for Miguel Almiron. Uh, You know, just another example of really Carlos Bocanegra, Darren Eels, Paul McDonough, 
their ability to, to I don't know whose vision it was. I assume it was Darren and Carlos's. Uh, well, Paul got in early too. Mm-hmm. But to be able to find the pieces to fit into the plan and then to execute the plan. I mean, Kevin Kratz was a guy that couldn't find a team. Uh, Romario Williams was a guy who couldn't get a look in Montreal. And they're perfect fits here. And, I mean, that's not even talking about a guy like Mikey Ambrose, who I think would start for a lot of teams in this league. Yep. You know, this is a very deep roster, and playing time is going to be hard to come by. That's why you saw tonight Andrew Carlton with ATL UTD, too. And, and Oliver Shannon. And Oliver and Shannon, who has played very well. And Goslin's played very well there. Kunga came off the bench and looked dangerous. Conquo started for Charleston. Yep. Conquo's playing over there. I mean, that's the thing. This team has enough talent right now that you can't even send everybody to the second team. You have to send some guys to other second division teams. That's where things are right now. So don't get hung up on starters, not starters. This team can go 15, 16, 17, maybe 20 deep. And speaking of that depth, I I don't know what they're going to do when Viaba comes back and is healthy. Uh, Barco looked good tonight. Viaba has not – I thought looked particularly great this season other than the one game against D.C. United. That was his best. Uh, that really, that was his only. It's hard to pick out any other moments. Um, the 3-5-2 doesn't necessarily suit him. You know, no. As a second um, forward, that's not really his best role. When Barco's there, he becomes almost like a, an additional 10 when he's playing the second forward. That's not Tito's game. Tito, Tito no. wants to run at people in space. He'd be a great addition off the bench for the final 20 minutes just to run out a tired defense. Yep. Um, but I don't think that's probably what he wants to do. So, I mean, I don't think any player would want to. No, no. Be but that I, guy. you know, it feels like this team really though does understand what the mission is, and and the mission for this team this season is to win trophies. So if that's what right now will be the best thing to win trophies, that's what Tata Martino is going to do, and he's going to have to manage the group and and keep players motivated and. If that means Tito Vichalba becomes a, a depth piece off the bench and then becomes a starter in some midweek matches and some Open Cup matches, maybe that's what it means until things flip. Because if Tito comes off the bench, like Romario Williams tonight, comes off the bench made the absolute most of his minutes. Mm-hmm. Great defensive play on a header off a, off a corner kick. Then he earns the PK that seals it. Guys are going to have to make the most of the minutes they get because the minutes are not going to be there for everybody. Who was your man of the match tonight? Oh, it was a tough call. Um, I went with Barco. I went with Ezekiel Barco. We had a ton of tweets about McCann, Garza, Parkhurst, Almiron. I mean, you could have kept going. It was that good of a team performance. I think I'm, I'm, I still haven't posted mine yet. I have an idea of what I'm going to do. Um, and I'm not going to share it to make you read the stories. Oh, tease. <laughs> Uh, so what do you got coming up, Jason? Oh, an early morning flight. Not quite <laughs> as early as you, but close. Um, and then uh, this week, soccer down here, Monday to Friday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Uh, each day. And if, if you guys are subscribed to us on your podcast catchers, if it's iTunes, if it's Stitcher, go back and check out one we posted on Friday with Linda Hamilton, Georgia soccer legend, First Georgian to play for a senior national team oh, in the wow. United States. Women's World Cup winner in 1991. I had a chance to talk to her for about 30 minutes last week. Great conversation with a Georgia soccer legend. That is awesome. Well, I'm going to go back and listen to that. There you go. Um, and how do they follow you on Twitter, Jason? I'm at Longshoe and Soccer Down Here, at Soccer Down Here. 
Uh, tonight I've posted the short game story on AJC.com, the longer game story on MyAJC.com. I'm going to post this when I get back to the hotel, and then I'll probably go ahead and post a couple other things. I skipped the five observations last week because I just wanted to write about Barco. I may bring that back uh, this week. I'm not quite sure. i got to think about it because I'm really, really tired right now. <laughs> I have been up for almost 24 consecutive hours. Um, but we'll go from there. Uh, again, Atlanta United unbeaten in six, winners of five within that six. Uh, in second place in the Eastern Conference with 16 points, one behind NYCFC. We'll host Montreal at 1 p.m. next Saturday at Mercedes-Benz. It's one of the few 1 p.m. games I think they have this season. Mm. Uh, and strangely, they played Montreal at Montreal at 1 p.m. last week. Somebody likes Atlanta United and Montreal in that 1 p.m. time slot, uh, which is weird to me. Big in Quebec. Yeah, huge. That's prime time in Quebec. Uh, anyway, Atlanta United 2-0 winners over the LA Galaxy tonight. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. And I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, Southern Fried Soccer. Y'all have a good one. I'm Ernie Suggs, race and culture reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And I'm Ned Ravone, lifestyle columnist. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. I've been living here for 24 years, and I am still amazed at how rich the city's Black culture continues to grow. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. Like historically Black colleges and universities. Atlanta's thriving art scene. And the city's growing neighborhoods. Wherever you live, we want to hear from you. We want to hear what issues are important to you. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. Only from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution.